0: Welcome to the Casuals of Runeterra Book Club. I'm your host, Ryan, and I'm back. It's been a bit, huh? (laughs) We're going to pick up where we left off, uh, but a few changes. I'm going to do housekeeping up top, as always. Uh, You can listen to us everywhere. Visit us at podcastcore.com for all of our info. Email us at podcastcore at gmail.com. Remember, that's C O R. Uh, follow us on all the platforms because it helps us with discoverability. We appreciate it because it's been working. We've been growing slowly, uh, but baby steps. And then leave a like and comment, uh, which I'm going to explain how important the comments have been for us. Uh, but the easiest way is word of mouth. Tell one friend to help others in need by listening to the Casuals of Runeterra podcast. So today we're going to pick up in part two and talk about chapters Thirteen and fourteen, but I want to talk a bit about the hiatus. So, if you're a new listener, this means nothing to you, right? (laughs) You're coming in, you're just kind of picking up what's here, and it should all be here. Uh, But for the people who have been following since the beginning, I'm gonna go ahead and apologize (laughs) for the change in plans. We did part one, and then life kind of got in the way. So, reasons for that hiatus on this specific content: time restrictions, right? Hetch and I work, uh, and this. Is done in our spare time, right? We like doing the podcast and we wanted to focus on our main content. So with work picking up for both of us, we couldn't do both. Um, I couldn't really do both. You know, we do all our editing and everything as well. So we wanted to focus on our main content. So as far as the comments, uh, you know, I want to thank you guys for I mean, patch two wants to thank you guys for reaching out in the comments and saying, Hey, we like that Ruination book series. Can you bring it back? Is there anything we can do, like a Patreon, et cetera? Um, Patreon, we're not ready to start yet. We wanna grow a bit more before we start asking for you know a little bit more money to help out. Um, but for now, we've we figured out a way to do it, and this is the changes moving forward. So as far as format, one less chapter per episode, so it's gonna be two chapters an episode, uh, which means you'll get more episodes in general. Uh, but the episodes now will be shorter, more snackable, and easier for me to kind of put together. Uh, and no, we're close to the length of our full length content if you listen to our main episodes with the stories and the bios, because those Hedge and I will have fun and go long on. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of the gist uh, of the comeback. And I'm happy to be doing this again. Uh, so let's try to not end up in another hiatus situation right and keep keep the stories flowing because this book is good. It's a solid book to pick up. Uh, so let's hop into it. We'll start with chapter thirteen scene one. uh so remember we break these into scenes to make it a little easier to follow the story and this scene is filled with a lot of action. uh, we start with Ship Ho is being yelled as they see a ship in the distance and Venix. Wonders if the ship is coming towards them, but it actually seems like this ship is being attacked uh, by a Crimson War Party. And Venix begins to shout to sail in the other direction, right? Let's, let's play it safe. And Callista decides she wants to assist them despite the dangers of these razor scales. Um, Callista pulls rank in this moment, which is something we rarely see her do because she's always trying to separate herself from her royalty background, uh, but she does, and then she demands that Venix do the honorable thing, and do the honorable thing in the name of the crown, and kind of follow that order, even though Venix is technically the captain. So I want to read real quick the description we get of the razor scales. Uh, It says, quote, sea green figures with long serpent tails were climbing up the hull of the stricken ship. Weapons clasped in their beak maws, their fins and crest." were a vivid red. And we'll get more descriptions as well about this uh, dangerous scene. Venix is familiar with this, Callista not so much, and Venix decides to make the call to help. So Venix says, we're gonna do this, turns the ship around, but she mentions one major thing. She says, focus on the leader, and this will give them and us a fighting chance. This takes us into scene two. So, we get more razor scale descriptions here. We have, quote, A tall, gaunt, crimson razor scale turned towards her. Its molted tail flicked around. Callista was assailed by its rank stench of brine and rotting meat. The creature's spines and fins were pierced with dozens of corroded hooks and metal rings, long strands of braided red kelp threaded with bones, were tied around its wrist, ankles, and neck. Its pallid eyes blazed with the feral intelligence, and it lashed at Callista with its jagged obsidian harpoon. Uh, Quite the description. (laughs) And we get a bunch of sakuga here. I won't read all that. Um, There's a moment where Callista kind of meets up with Venix at some point in the ship. You get some side-by-side battling action. And then we get a uh, turning point here where we get some introductions of what Callista sees in the distance on the ship. So it says, she turned and saw a young man with purple runes, wink, wink, "uh, burning within the flesh of his hands and forearms. He cried out in pain and dropped to his knees as the runes flared brightly, creeping further up his arms. The deck beneath his hands blackened and smoked, then burst into violent flames. So, if you've played the game, <laughs> this is kind of a hint at who this is, right? And beside him was an older man covered in blinding light. So We have two mages of some sort. I'll keep, I'll keep a little bit of the mystery here. But now we're getting into the, if you've played Dark Souls, you hear the music in the distance, um, and the ship starts to become more unstable as this gigantic creature half the size of the ship begins to climb on. So this is, the battle's going, right? Everything is happening, and then things escalate. So I'll read this uh, creature's description. A gigantic creature, perhaps half the length of the whole ship, was hauling itself out of the ocean, water streaming off its leathery blue-green flesh. It had at least six limbs, and while the rearmost one ended in giant flippers, the front pair were disturbingly human-like. The monster's bloated face was dominant, or dominated by a gigantic tooth-filled maw, each serrated fang as long as a dagger. Below its jaws were writhing tentacles which probed the air, searching for prey. Two tiny pallid eyes, pupils like pinpricks, glared down at the sailors scrambling desperately away from it. It screeched, spraying spittle and its sickening seaweed stench across the deck, and exposing more tentacles down its gullet. So uh, this is terrifying. (laughs) This is definitely uh, Lovecraftian. And I think you understand as well as we do uh, that this may be the main boss, right? The leader that Venix was talking about. So remember Venix said earlier, this is what they need to kill. They have to stop this thing and the thing riding it as well. So Calista doesn't hesitate. Uh, She's trained well, as we've talked about in our previous episodes. So she sprints towards the beast, but in a specific way. She notices the leader is controlling the beast with some form of energy. And with speed, she's able to get close enough to the leader before it knows and can react and then take him down. And that's exactly what she does. Then she notices the beast regains a sort of consciousness and goes absolutely berserk. So it begins tearing. Razor scales in half, grabbing dudes, slamming them uh, against the ship itself. And there's a sound of a horn that blasts in the distance and the raiders decide, okay, we're getting the hell out of here. This thing has lost control. We've lost our leader. We can't continue this raid. Uh, the creature then follows them back off the ship uh, into the water because it now wants to hunt the things that have been enslaving it this whole time. And the battle ends and that's the end of scene two. So this takes us to scene three, and uh, we got one more scene after this in this chapter. But Callista looks at the destruction and expects Venix to start scolding her, right, uh, and demanding for demanding the crew enter this battle. But Venix ultimately tells her, you know, it was the right thing to do. Don't worry about it, right? It's not not my first rodeo. Uh, we made it through. And the older mage comes over and he introduces himself as Tyrus, and alongside him is you remember the guy we mentioned earlier who's doing all the crazy magic. Uh, his teenage apprentice, Rise, and when I say teenage, like older teens, like eighteen, right? Um, not super young. So if you can't help yourself from this point forward, because you're like, oh man, a Rise mention. Because we talked about Sorca in previous episodes, we do have an episode for Rise as well. Uh, which will have spoilers, obviously. It's later in his life, Uh, but it's very interesting. And his story afterwards is also we covered. Um, You can check that one out as well. So I want to read how Callista is describing this young rise. Uh, Here it says, Callista glanced at the younger man who she guessed was in his late teens. Uh, The sides of his head were shaved and the hair down the center of his scalp was long and braided. He, too, wore a gray robe, though his hung open at the front, exposing his lean, tautly muscled, suntan chest. So, rise is hot, right? (laughs) He was clearly in some pain, though he tried to hide it, and there was a brash smile on his smooth-cheeked face. He was handsome in a rakish way and had the air of one who knew it too well. So, we got a good-looking, rebellious rise, which we have skins in the game, uh, in his human form, uh, which because of the poly count from back then, probably don't represent it as well. Hopefully, if he gets an update in a model, they will come across more. But one thing she notices when asked about his accent, so Tyrus, um, Tyrus uh, spoke many languages and he spoke theirs as well. And he spoke it with a slight accent, but very well. Rise did not. Rise is a little bit more rough, right? Uh, And they ask Tyrus, you know, where are you from? And he mentions he's from a small village uh, in the Northwest called Ironwater. So we get a location. And then Tyrus mentions how Rise was kind of reckless to use his undisciplined magical arts in this fight, uh, despite his immense natural talent. So we're getting a little bit of backstory here. We'll get more in a bit. But the main thing Tyrus just wants to focus on is that he wants to reiterate how much indebted he is to them. And he ensured that he'll help them. And they said, we'll also help you guys with your wounded. We got stuff on board. We'll bring it over and help you heal people. So that's awesome. Uh, because I think Tyrus, like Venix, knew what decision she would immediately make, which is to turn and run, right? Um, so them actually showing up, I'm sure, surprised the hell out of them. But they're not gonna complain, right? <laughs> they, they made it out. So something catches Venix's eye as this conversation is going on. And she asks Callista uh what the seer told them back on the island. you know, refresh my memory." And Callista says, "The golden maiden would lead the way uh Callista says, And then Venix points to the bow of the ship, and she's like, "Well, their figurehead is a golden woman. Looks like you found your golden maiden, princess." And that's where uh scene three ends, and this takes us into scene four, and we get a little bit of dialogue here between Callista and Tyrus. So Callista and Tyrus are now below decks, having a little meal in the chat, and Callista's asking about his village, uh, why he and Rise are even out here on this dangerous ocean, because they're quote-unquote scholars. Why are they doing these dangerous travel, these dangerous missions? And he mentions, you know, he is a scholar, but he's specifically looking for quote-unquote knowledge uh, to take back to his fellow scholars who aren't travel weary, right? They're not the ones who want to be out there. And he is also very vague about where that place is and what this knowledge is. And Calista lets him know, you know, she doesn't believe what he is truly doing is so simple. Um, like I said, if you listen to our Rise episodes, you'll have more information on that. I'm not going to spoil that here. Um, then she brings up the Blessed Isles. This is her goal, remember, and this is her time to ask, with what Venix pointed out about the figurehead, she thinks that not only is the ship the key to her end goal, but Tyrus and Rise as well. So Tyrus insists immediately that they don't know, right? They, they don't really know much, and he doesn't think it exists, it's a fairy tale. And she believes, once again, he's withholding this quote-unquote knowledge. And he mentions that, you know, I get you're asking questions, but we know Camivore's bloody Imperial past, right? And Callista tries to ensure him that's not her goal here. That's not why she's seeking out the Blessed Isles. It's for something greater and more important. And she explains the situation and the fear of the king's reaction to Tyrus. And Tyrus says this. Uh, we'll start with, please, I'm begging you. My, uh, my young uncle, the king, adores his queen. She is his life, and I fear what he will do should she succumb. Tyra says, he will do what we all must when we lose someone close to us. He will mourn. I fear he will do far more than that, Callista said. And remember, if you listen to our previous episodes related to this book, Callista has this continuous uh, expectation of him losing his damn mind. And of course, we as readers, and if you've been consuming the content and playing the game, you know what happens. Right, (laughs) we all know what happens in the end, but this is before that. She continues: uh, He will look for someone to blame, and he will unleash the might of the of Camivore upon them. Death and destruction will follow, and his rage and pain will not easily be slacked. Obviously, this concerns Tyrus. Right, he doesn't want to hear this. And then she mentions the one horn seer that guided her here, and that gets his attention. Tyrus mentions, he's like the Star Child question mark, which that raises an eyebrow for Calista. Calista asks, oh, do you know her? Confirms it's Soraka and says he is familiar with her from stories, obviously the quote unquote knowledge that he knows. Um, but he's never met him, her himself. And Calista begs him at this point, you know, hands in hands and knees type stuff and promises not to reveal the truth um, of the Blessed Isles and offers him all the riches and knowledge he could desire from Camivore. And Tyrus thinks, right, there's a big moment of silence here, thinks long and hard, and he decides he believes in her heart, he believes her goal is true, and he's going to help her. And I wanna emphasize that. And that's where chapter three ends. So chapter 14 is a shorter chapter. Remember, we wanna keep these episodes a bit short, so we'll hop into it. There's only two main scenes. So in scene one of this chapter, we have Tyrus on his ship, with Callista aboard as he heads into the mist and they're utilizing a waystone and obviously a magical waystone. And he agreed, remember, to take Callista, but not the rest of the crew, not Venix, not her crew, not the ship. So they stay behind outside the mist. That's why I emphasized her uh, in the previous section. And Rise and Callista are now having a chat where he's offering up a lot of various information about the Blessed Isles because if you catch on from the earlier chapter, Rise is kind of flirting with Callista, and he's also young. So he's trying to impress her uh, with the information he has and just how much he knows. And he mentions he would like to visit Camivore with her as his guide, if possible, during this lightly flirting, right? And she believes he is from the Isles originally, but then he tells her that, no, I'm from Comb. that's K-O, or K-H-O-M an arid land to the north, so we get another location. And we do reference this location in his other episode, in our Rise episode, if you do decide to go listen to that. Um, Once again, that would be a spoiler, so it's up to you. I'll I'll leave the option on the table. Uh, And this this conversation continues, and we start to get a deep dive into Rise's young life here. And the gist of it is, you know, he leaves his homeland, under mysterious conditions, which he won't tell Callista. He teaches himself to fight and survive for a couple years, becomes a mercenary, obviously for the money, kind of enjoys that thrill and bouncing around and never really knowing what's coming next. Uh, And there's one point where he attempts to rob Tyrus's ship one day uh, before ultimately being caught. We get a little quote here that says, quote, Tyrus found me in his quarters. I was backed into a corner with nowhere to run. And that was the first time I manifested my talent. He lifted one clenched fist, purple runes began to burn beneath his flesh. Then with a furtive glance at Tyrus, he relaxed his hand and the power dissipated. Tyrus was impressed and took me under his wing. And when he left the desert lands, I went with him. And this is when, you know, first rise pops up to be who he is. And Rise, who is having kind of a rebellious streak, uh, at this moment thinks Tyrus is envious of his gifts, since Tyrus mainly needs a sigil or some source of magic to channel his powers, but Rise doesn't need anything. And he emphasizes anything. So, you know, we like to reference other uh, fantasy uh, that relates to a lot of the Rune Terra stuff. So, for our full, full Metal Alchemist fans, uh, out there, this is like not needing a transmutation circle, right? And You know how big of a deal that is in that show. Um, to not need that for Harry Potter fans, this is like not needing a wand <laughs> to do magic. So this, at this point, we understand how powerful young Rise is, and I mean with a capital P. So when you look at Rise in the future that we know him, that should be even more impressive where he is at that point. Uh, once you understand all the stuff he goes over, he goes through. In such a long period of time, um, as a major, and then this takes us to Callista kind of indulging all these stories, and like I said, Rise is giving up information, and he's arrogant about it, and she's kind of feeding into it because I think she can sense um, that he's hitting on her. This isn't Callista's first rodeo, and she's beautiful, right? She's beautiful. She's athletic. She's capable. Uh, leadership skills, all that. So I get it, Rise. Do, do your thing. Try your best, but. <laughs> So he thinks he's showing, like she's showing interest in him, and he's starting to get a bit cocky and not really watching his words. And also remember, he's not great with the language as well. And he begins to say the wrong thing about the people who sent her here, and starts calling these people fools. We know who he's referencing. He doesn't, and she goes, and her temper flares up, and she grabs him and puts him in a hold until he stops talking and kind of realizes he's done a bit too much. And then when she releases him, he's in a bit of pain. He's also pissed, and he walks off in rage. Right, Callista here is standing there, kind of like shit. I let my you know let my anger get the best of me, and I probably did something dumb. And she's hoping it doesn't you know affect her uh, ultimate goal here, uh, being in the good graces of Tyrus and rise to get to the Blessed Isles. And that's where that scene ends. And also, we get a jump here to another character. I hope you haven't forgotten. Uh, we're back in the Blessed Isles with Ehrlich, uh, Ehrlich Grail, the warden prefect. And remember, he got a promotion, things happened, and Ehrlich is now sitting at a desk reading about the secrets of the well of ages uh, in the chambers of the waters of life. I know it's a lot of names, right? (laughs) Um, But don't worry about it. Due to his rank now, He's kind of mulling over his inability to access them unaccompanied. Like he has more power than he had before, but still not enough to accomplish his goal. So what he's doing is he's cross-referencing old dungeon maps with newer maps uh, and then the designs of like gutters, sluices, and channels, because he's trying to find a way to get in through a back door, quote unquote. So he's building his own map to find an alternative route into this restricted area. And he does it. He figures out how to get, get in. He finds an empty space where the maps line up. And he's like, it has to be here. But now, how do I get in, right? Because he has a keystone. There's, there's dispenses, right? You know with any story that deals with mages locking away important secrets, you know, it's warded to holy hell. <laughs> he knows this. So how do you get past the wards? Well, you need the keys. And he has one key that he got from a long-dead master. So one keystone, but this door needs two to disable him. You know, fail safe. Mission impossible style. And he needs to find another. And, you know, he finally finds his vengeance or his his path to vengeance. So he doesn't let the fact that he still needs the other piece, the key, another keystone, to get in spoil his mood. He's kind of partying in his mind here. And he knows soon he will finally get what he wants, which is vengeance on the masters who treated him so poorly for so long. So at the end of this chapter, you have the lights going out and he's kind of sitting there just basking in it as he thinks about the downfall. And he, in his mind, he's like, it's going to be glorious. And that's where chapter 13 ends. Like I said, it was shorter. So where does this leave us? Well. Till the next chapter. <laughs> um, all in all, like I said, it's great to be back. Uh, these two chapters are action-packed. Uh, well, the first one's more action-packed, the second one's more character-driven, and giving us some backstory on you know, who doesn't want to hear about Rise. Rise is a cool character, he's an OG character. Now we know a lot about him, uh, especially his early life. And then Tyrus, because when you learn about what happens to Tyrus and his path. Um, in the future, you know, this stuff matters. So good job again on the book. Uh, We'll leave it there for now. And as always, you know, I want to say thanks for listening. Thanks for getting me back on this series. And we'll be back soon with the next episode. And as Hetch always says, take care, everybody.